Yo! Welcome back to Sports Reports as ordered. I am we right back. We up in the building. I'm we right here. Rutley as always. So quick programming note. You know, we're going to go back to our Tuesday, Friday next week. We had some traveling going on. Raph is back in Jersey. You know, say he's going to talk to us all about Utah. He's going to talk to us about how there wasn't no traffic, how there was no parking and all that good stuff like that. You know, MLW25, of course, you can find me on Instagram and all that. All that will be in your descriptions. Raph, what is going on in Utah, man? These people not excited for the All-Star game? Listen, man, Utah is a great time. I love it. I love my family out there. Shout out to the Garretts. Um, my man, Anthony Harsfeld, you know, always hold me down. Everybody always comes out. Every time I come out, you know, we, can, we get together. It's a good time. You know, I get to go snowboarding when the fall or summertime. We get to go hit the lake up. It's a great time. It is not a great place for an NBA All-Star game in 2023. I remember I hear, heard uh, Matt Barnes talking about this a couple of years ago. So me, me and you had this discussion before because, you know, we both stationed out there. We like it, but he's like, man, there's nothing to do. So they were talking about, you know, Utah getting free agents. It's hard to get stuff to do. There's not much to do there. It's Downtown is small. Like, think of your any any major city near you and just take, like, four blocks. That's basically your entertainment hub <laughs> for Utah. Like, you got you have the nice restaurants on a couple of blocks, the university at the top of the hill. It looks great, but if you bring in an influx of people, there's not a lot of options for all those people to do stuff outside. Mm-hmm. Like, I read an article today, Shaq said he orders room service because there's nothing to do. There's not that many places. Some of the liquor laws were kind of convoluted, so it's kind of hard to bring your restaurants. So it's just a hard place to have an all-star game. If it's strictly about basketball, then it's a great place. They love the jazz. They love basketball there. A lot of good basketball teams. Some some very good prep basketball teams come out of Utah. I don't know if anyone's ever seen videos of, like, the, the kids on missions in the hood, crossing up dudes while they're wearing their shirts and ties. Like if you if you if you're bored, go to YouTube and look up uh, Mormon missionary crosses up dude or something something along those lines. You'll get a lot of good basketball clips because basketball is big here. There, excuse me. But as far as an entertainment hub for basketball, it it just it just didn't work. Like so, we went out Saturday night. Normally, if you think about a city that has, like, a big event going on, like, if you're in D.C., you're in Dallas, you're in Miami, you're in Vegas, you're probably not going to find, like, street parking at prime hours, 8, 9 o'clock. It's going to just be blocked off traffic. Literally, it was a couple of different spots where there's traffic being kind of monitored, but it wasn't that <laughs> many people just in the city because that's not the kind of city Salt Lake is. Like, people didn't flood the city for the All-Star game. So you have the players. And you can kind of tell, like, the way they played. It, you could tell they kind of had a very subdued weekend. It just it – was, it wasn't much going on. Like, I think the normal crowd I went to – we went to a bar, to this pub, hung out, went to another place, and went to the parking garage, probably an eight-story parking garage. We had space on the fourth story. So it just wasn't it wasn't as packed as you were expecting. A lot of people flew in, a lot of reporters and just different people flew in, but I don't think it was the the expectation that people had. Well, you know, it was funny because of course, since I wasn't in Utah, I was curious about this. 
you know, because the All-Star game got some stuff coming up in these next couple of years. There's a Milwaukee out there. I believe next year is Indianapolis. It's like, yo, I understand you got to show love to all the league and everything, but I don't know how this going to work, you know? So like you said, you know, Salt Lake City, Utah is a beautiful place, you know, but there's no nightlife for the most part. Like I remember the first time I went out in Utah, <laughs> I went to the bar, I went to Maxwell's and, you know, I was sitting up there dancing, trying to meet some ladies and everything. And then it was about 1245 and the guy said, hey, last call. Oh, and they shutting it down. Lights come on. Yeah, I was sitting up there like, hold up, like, did I not switch my watch over? Like, what's up with these time zones? You know, like I was all that was Utah. So I could just imagine how somebody that plays in L.A., for example, or New York or somewhere like that comes to Utah. And they're just like, what are we doing? That's so something as simple as this. Right. So I'm drinking. You don't really get mixed drinks because they only give you like an ounce or so of alcohol. So you got to drink stuff straight. The most they could give you is an ounce and a half in one glass. <laughs> so I or I'm drinking, you know, Basil Hayden on the rocks. Do is like the most I can give you is an ounce and a half. So I'm like, well, you got those some more rocks in it, so it thins out. So I'm not banging these back for eleven dollars each. I'm just they're basically shots. So I'm sipping slowly, sipping shots, big shots essentially. If you go on vacation, you buy a shot glass, you go to Bermuda, you go to Vegas, you go to L.A., those big shot glasses with the flags and stuff on it, those mm-hmm. are two. So imagine spending $11 on less liquor than that. So imagine you're an NBA player, because I don't know if they make exceptions. I bought a bottle once at a club in Utah. They locked it in this real decorative tube. It was nice. It was lit up. But yeah. I had to come over like this little magnet lock to unlock it to get my... So she could pour our drinks and had to put it back. So it looked good in the middle of the table, but it's not conducive to the party. The the places where you would go aren't that big. I imagine that, like me and you were talking about Maxwell's, me and you went there before. It's a restaurant that converts to a bar, nightclub, and a lot of places do that. There's not a, a lot of environments where it's just big. Like if you go to Vegas, if you go to One Oak in Vegas, or if you go to Tao, one of these, these old places, like these pool parties, it's just a huge room, stage, DJ, bottle sections, couches. Vegas is the place where you want to have the NBA All-Star game. You can try to move it around, but realistically, if you want to have an NBA All-Star game, the time of year you have your game, it's warm enough in Vegas, because mm-hmm. I went down for days, warm enough in Vegas in February to where people will go from one casino to the next casino to the next club. Whereas Minneapolis or Milwaukee or Indiana, man, it could be 12 degrees. <laughs> it, it could be a day where it's 12 degrees. It will not be 12 in Vegas. It won't be 12 in LA. So I know they want to spread the wealth, but based off of the way the players play, the audience reaction to introducing the NBA Africa and, and, and like that music and trying to incorporate, they just did, it did, it didn't work. It was a good idea, but it's, it, in my opinion, it didn't work. Well, you know, I just want to know what the fans want because, you know, we all have hard days at work sometimes where we don't want to be there. You know, we have days where we're, it's just not it. Like we're just not having a day, you know, but, 
I hear these NBA players, you know, shout out the easy money sniper. You know, they always talk about how they love basketball. They love to play basketball. They love to play basketball. This is what they do. And then they went out on that all-star court. And I couldn't tell that they like to play basketball, let alone love it. You know, and I don't know if it was the atmosphere. Like, I don't know if it was like a mindset where they were in Utah and they kind of already had that we're here type attitude. But I just don't know what they were trying to accomplish outside of I'm going to let my homeboy get a dunk real quick. Like my favorite part of the game, you know, was just watching Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum kind of play around a little bit with each other because there's always been that debate of who's better between those two. So it was fun to just see them kind of have their moments. Evenly matched too. Like, yeah, I know. And I still don't know who's better. I still don't know who's better. Like I think Jason Tatum is overall better, but I just don't know because Jalen Brown's so good. But But, you can't tell Jalen Brown that Tatum's better because I don't, I'm, I'm doing this. Like yeah. there's nothing definitive let you know that Tatum is that much better than Jalen Brown. He's like, I'm on here too. And I think <laughs> good move. Cause like I said, we were having a discussion in the group chat. One guy was like, Oh man, people just hating on the all-star game. Like, no, like I watched. It's one thing. We know it's not tough defense. You're not running boxing ones. You're not switching on the ball screens. We understand that part, but. It was just guys dribbling and just laying the ball up. At least throw me some crazy alley-oop off the backboard. At least bounce an alley-oop. It's like, do something. They were just shooting long three-pointers. Right. And then they would hit a little dribble drive and then lay the ball up. I mean, Kyrie, he he was showing his whole layup package. But it would have been better if he had to, like, lay it up over somebody or yeah. around one. Like, he literally beat one guy and they would suddenly go to the hole. You know, it just it just didn't seem as if there was a lot of energy put into the game because I think I think the weekend leading up to it, it just I can't imagine. Like I said, I was down there Saturday night. I was at I was out at the bars. They weren't packed and the weather wasn't bad. I think the weekend and when I say 30, 35 degrees in Utah, like it's not 30, 35 degrees like the East Coast where it's like this this cold, wet 30, 35 degrees in Utah is like. 50 on the east coast even at night so if, if anybody listening from all over the country mainly east coast when i say 30 35 at night in utah in february i was wearing a hoodie i was wearing a hoodie and a Kyrie jersey i was wearing like i was wearing this hoodie and a Kyrie jersey so i was fine and we were out we were at bars that had the outdoor sections open and they didn't have like heaters or anything on so it wasn't like super cold so it should have been more packed but it just wasn't like it just it, it didn't drive like something, something wasn't connected to the experience that drove it to where it's more entertaining than previous years. So, so I just want to clear the air because, like, everything we do in this world nowadays is so extreme, one end to the other. So, on one side, I've heard people say, like, "Oh, you know, nobody's trying to get hurt during an All Star game." And then on the other side, I hear like. Yeah, it's an all-star game. Just let them have fun. So, you know, but I'm kind of in the middle on that. Now, I don't want nobody to go out there and D-Wade break somebody's nose or anything like that. But, you know, when the fourth quarter, the game was on the line, you know, um, the team Giannis was up by, you know, 10 points or maybe a little bit more than that towards the end of the game. And it wasn't as if the defensive intensity picked up where, hey, the target score is 182. We need to get out there and play this defense. They just, you know, Team Giannis just started pulling up from half court. They started shooting from, you know, 
eight feet behind the three-point line. It was, so, so like, as a fan, even if I was there, I think, like, at a bar, not necessarily in the arena, but if I was at a bar or something, I probably would have walked out. Like, I probably would have just been like, yo, I got to just watch this at home. This ain't even fun. Like, we ain't even getting a chance to talk trash or, you know, anything like that. So, you know, as far as Utah itself, I can't imagine – you know, because Utah does have basketball fans. Like, you know, like the, the jazz fans are passionate. They you know what I'm saying? Jazz pan, the jazz fans pissed me off. The jazz fans pissed me off because they were so happy to see Carl Malone or whatever. I wasn't happy to see Carl Malone. But anyway, you know, but like I'm just sitting there watching this and I'm like, these people in this arena outside of the first quarter, you know, where the cool dunks and all that was. I was like, they can't really be entertained, can they? Especially because I was looking up the prices. Because I flew in on Tuesday, and I was hanging out with my friends all week, and people were like, so why are you here? I'm like, well, I'm here for multiple reasons. Like, the All-Star Game is here. I wanted to go snowboarding. Uh, last time I was out there was, like, September. So every once in a while, I like to, you know, I like to give myself a little break. You know, you work hard all week long. I was, you know, take a break. So when I went out Saturday, I met a group of people that were associated with uh, – they had a friend, like a family friend, who was associated with the Minnesota, Minnesota Timberwolves. They're all Utah Jazz fans, but because their friend worked for the Timberwolves, he got them all jerseys. They were all part of, like, his entourage. And they had tickets to the Slam Dunk event, and they had tickets. The guy had, you know, set of tickets aside for them for the All-Star game. And they were like, I don't know if I'm going to go. Now I'm looking up prices for the game. The prices were, like, 400 500 600 for the game, but early in the week they were, like, 11 or 12 and then it got down to like $700 Sunday for the All-Star game. Well, I went snowboarding that whole morning. But by the time I got back to the crib, I was like, man, I'm not getting off this recliner. I hit the button. My feet rose up, and we watched the game. And I was sitting there thinking, like, even if one of these, like, with the people I met, they're like, oh, if we get an extra ticket, we'll hit you up. I'm like, all right, you know, cool. You know, if you do, you do. If you don't, you know, it's fine. But like I said, I went snowboarding all morning. So by the time I got back to the house, like 3 or 4 o'clock, they're like, man, I'm I can't imagine getting up, getting dressed, going. And then when I watch the game on TV, I'd be like, man, I've been so upset. I'm in there, my hip hurts, my groin hurts, and it fell on my head twice. And I'm out there, like, watching this game. And it's like, it's not as if they weren't competitive and they weren't having a good time. It's just that the show that they put on, it didn't feel like a show. Steph Curry last year put on a show, shooting the threes up, running back half court, the way people were reacting to him shooting threes up. This year, it just it lacked that star power, and I think the NBA, like we can probably you know transition it shortly, that that star power that the NBA has, I think they're kind of going with. They're getting world money. I think the NBA is getting so much money from the world. I.e., the halftime shows all NBA Africa, a lot of African artists, which you know shout out to them expanding, but. I don't think it's really like they don't really need to be as deliberately entertaining to us as as American fans because they're getting so much exposure outside the country. The 10 teams or so that don't make the playoffs, I can guarantee you they're going to be on some kind of European, Asian basketball tour, especially if these guys have a shoe deal. They're going to be over in Asia doing expos. I know Steph Curry does one every year. LeBron does them every year. Kobe used to do a lot of them. So I think the fact that they're they're such a global brand that the local entertainment is is taking a backseat because the All Star Game was not it was not the it wasn't entertaining. 
Well, speaking of which, it sounds like Silver's getting closer to his tournament, that his midseason tournament that he's been talking about. It sounds like it's going to have some international flavor to it. So I'm interested to see where that goes. I'm not necessarily for it per se, but, you know, I'm willing to see where it goes. But, you know, just to wrap this up. <clears throat> so when I look at this All-Star game, I don't think I need to be dramatic and say that the All-Star game needs an overhaul. I don't think it's, you know, that because last year's All-Star game was pretty good. Yeah. You know, the one thing, I, the only thing that I'll say is, you know, Mr. Gilgis Alexander, you know, you know, went to my favorite school, Kentucky, you know, act like you want to be there. You know, don't be talking about how you need more money to do something and make it better or whatever the case may be, because if you didn't get there, you'd have been whining about it and talking about how you got snubbed. So don't take it for granted. You might not get back there. So if you're going to show up, just do what you're supposed to do. Just have a good time. Play ball entertain and you know you could save your faces and all that you could talk about utah whatever it was that was bothering you we could talk about that at a later date yeah and i feel like i said by no means i'm I'm not knocking it i just i feel like they had an opportunity to put on a show and they just put out a show you know Mm -hmm. It 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 felt like they were going through the motions because even when the game, when he had that target, you know in the fourth quarter, the target is a 24 points. But it didn't feel like Team LeBron, like, battled towards the end of the third to get it to where they needed 30 points in the fourth and Team Giannis needed 24. So it was, like, competitive. I think they were down, like, 11 to 12 points. It was like, how you down 11 to 12 points in the game with no defense? <laughs> the shots don't be falling sometimes, man. <laughs> yeah, get it, but it's like it just—it just didn't feel as if the—it didn't, it just didn't feel as if the the energy was there, right? Because I think, like, like I said, I've I've been there, I lived there. I can't imagine it was a lot of entertainment for the players from whenever they landed in Utah to that night it just felt like a lot of people couldn't wait to get to their buses or their sprinters mm-hmm. and out of dodge i bet a lot of people ended up on planes or in buses headed to vegas sunday after the game so on that note you know regular season resumes tomorrow you know so like speaking of vegas i want to know who is going to be spending this summer in, or the spring in Vegas instead of the playoffs, you know. So looking at the standings here, you know, starting off with the Eastern Conference, obviously Boston sits atop the mountain. Milwaukee a half game back of them. Philadelphia, you know, two and a half back of Milwaukee. So there's your top three, Boston, Milwaukee, and Philly. Cleveland's in fourth, five games out of first. Brooklyn next at seven and a half out. And then the Knicks are your cutoff line. So that's your top six. So, looking at that top six, you think it stays put, or you think we're going to have some movement in there? In the East? In the East, yep. All right. Let me get my my notes together here, see if it'll cooperate. (laughs) Yeah, so I got Boston staying on top. I think they're going to make the playoffs as the one seed. I think that two seed gets interesting because Chris Middleton, you know, hasn't been having these flare-ups. You know, his knees acting up. So if he can't, I know Milwaukee, I don't want to be disrespectful because I know they're on a 12 game winning streak, you know, but 
all good things come to an end. They're not going to finish the regular season undefeated from this point. So I think Philly could sneak up into the two spot. You know, I don't know if it's feasible that they will, but I think it's a very good possibility. Cleveland, I thought, you know, we were going to have a run. You know, looking at Boston last year, I was trying to figure out a team who could pull off that type of run. And I thought it would be Cleveland until I realized they were 13 and 17 on the road. So if you're going to pull off a Boston kind of run, you got to win on the road. Yeah, you got to win on the road. You know, um, Brooklyn, I think we're going to see drop a little bit backwards. You know, they're going to probably fall into the play in, I think, around seven because I have Miami jumping up from seven into the top six there. I still don't like to play in. You know, I like I don't like the I don't like to play in. I I like the competitive edge to it. That's one thing, but it's just like I'm starting to think like I know, like I said, I know I wanted a whole rant about how you know. Yeah, that was a few episodes ago. I brought that up. That was one of the first ones. <laughs> um, but I think about it is like I just think that the league in other stuff you have 82 games. They stretch their all-star game out to this point so that they get the entire media attention post-Super Bowl. So what you have, you have your trade deadline. And then with other sports, I think the NHL has their all-star game. And then you have the NFL Pro Bowl, Super Bowl, and the NBA trade deadline. And then you have the the NBA all-star game. So I get it from a media standpoint, and I get that it seems like more things are being generated for entertainment purposes versus just playing basketball and doing and being good at that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in the East, you got, so six, seven, eight, you got Knicks, Heat, Hawks, mm-hmm. Hawks just fired their coach. The Wizards surprisingly at nine, because we you know normally they're, they're not really like uh, holding strong. The Raptors, just for some reason, can't seem to like keep it together. So they're they're holding strong at ten. I think the East. I think they. I think they stand pat. I think right now, yeah, Brooklyn might drop a little, but I think the talent that Brooklyn does have that they got in the trade, I think is going to translate to the same type, like the same amount of wins that you would have gotten with KD and Kyrie, because there's no guarantee that both of them would have played a bunch of games together. So if you figure Brooklyn right now is 34 and 24, that's 58 games. They get 24 games left. With KD and Kyrie, you could have easily gone 18 and six. But if they don't both play 20 all 24 games, you know 13 and 11, 10 and 14, it's, it's not unreasonable. So well, well, at this point, at this point, load management is over, right? No, Low management not. is over, right? I mean, we got a playoff to make here. You 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 would you would think that I think some teams are gonna be hungry, but if you have to look at it like this, if you are if you're the Hawks and you get into the playoffs at eight, you know, after the play and everything plays out, and it's, it stands firm right now, maybe Brooklyn drops down to seven. Miami and the Knicks go up. To five and six, Brooklyn drops down to seven, Atlanta stays at eight. You really think Atlanta feels like they can go into Boston or play Boston four and beat them four out of seven games? No. You think Miami at seven or Brooklyn at seven feels like they can beat the Bucks 
four out of seven times. Sixers, Sixers, Knicks. I think the Knicks, if they're if they're at a if they're you know six, maybe maybe they feel like they can give the Sixers run for their money. Not if Julius Randle's still shooting these threes. So I I think that a lot of these teams, I think people are fed up with each other. That's a lot of months. They start in October. <laughs> it's like we're already spending six months together. We're not making it. We're not making. Come on, it. man. They ain't get through the storming in the Norman yet. Yo, man, I I know for a fact that people would rather be doing whatever it is than what they're doing sometimes. No matter how much they get paid, <laughs> it's the point. Like, you know what? I don't know if I want to be here. And I think that's why you're basically you're looking at your top three teams. Mm-hmm. Cleveland might make a run at it, but the first round of the Eastern Conference playoffs is a wash. There won't be a, there won't be an upset. It won't be close. Your whole first round, I'm predicting. However the matches play out. So what I want in the first round. Five-game series. So what I want in the first round is, since you brought that up, and I didn't even think about that until just now, I would like to see Cleveland hold on to that four and get Miami at the five because, you know, like, I think that could be a good series. And I think I like Miami picking up Kevin Love. And, you know, just from a storyline standpoint, I think I like Kevin Love going against Cleveland. You know, Cleveland is the favorite for once. You know, I think I like that, you know, but to finish it off. Yeah, I think that Brooklyn falls to seven. They end up in the play in. I think the Wizards probably move up to eight and Atlanta drops to nine or ten. And then I think Chicago gets in and Toronto falls out of the top ten. Yes, you know, up behind Toronto right now. Mm -hmm. I just think like I said, I just think that, for instance, if you're Detroit or Charlotte, like, what are you doing? You got 22 games left. You got a young team. Man, they're mailing it in. Yeah, they're mailing They're trying to get Victor. Everybody's trying to, you know, you still got, there's no guarantee you're going to be on the team. Or you get this guy in, he take all your minutes. That's <laughs> when everyone's doing the interviews about LeBron James, and they're like, hey, you know, he goes, he's going to come in and be a rookie and do his job. And then all of a sudden, Half the team gone after you leave. <laughs> All y'all job. We don't need none of y'all now. Yeah. Um, you know, but I think that's I think that's what we're looking at there. You know, I think um Indiana's still in the mix as well. They're only two and a half out of the ten line, but you know, they're two and eight in their last ten games. So I think they've already started on the vacation. Yeah. And it's upsetting because like I said, we like me and you talk about sports is very animated. It's very like a lot of energy. We're going back and forth, but it just feels it feels like kind of dismissive. The fact is like none of these teams have really put themselves in position to show like, hey, we are the big dogs. Right. And it's like that's and that's one thing that we could talk about different eras of basketball. You always felt like certain teams every year, no matter what, were going to scratch and claw. I didn't like I don't know how the Knicks got Patrick Ewing back in the 80s. But I don't know if it was publicly announced that they tanked for it. Or I don't know how Carmelo ended up in Utah, but I don't think it was publicly announced. I don't think they traded away all their talent or not pay a guy or fire a coach just so they could lose a bunch of games. I get it. You know, you got to put yourself in position to, to better your team. But it just feels as if with the amount of talent that these guys play with, the amount of money that some of these guys are getting paid, the amount of 
money for the tickets and all and all the stuff that kind of comes with it. You would just think it would be the product would be a little better. You would think mm-hmm. you would I would I should feel comfortable with five teams in the Eastern Conference being able to compete for the Eastern Conference title. And it's like I'm at two and a possible like I'm playing spades over here. Like if it's not Boston or Milwaukee, maybe it's Philly. But they go out and lose a game to the Hawks or the Wizards or something like that, and then it's over. Or a guy will get an injury or a strain or a pull, and he won't play two or three games when he probably could have played two or three games, but he only Mm -hmm. played one of the three. You know, just this, it just, it just feels as if the entertainment portion of it is the is the setup, right, and not the delivery. Well, to answer your question. Rest in peace, David Stern, is the reason that the Knicks got Patrick Ewing, you know. Um, So in the West, I think there could be some turmoil in the play-in because I don't see a team out there that I look at that is dominant per se. I know Denver has a five-game lead on number two Memphis, but I don't think anybody looks at Denver as this invincible team that can't be defeated. So Jokic is in line for his third straight MVP, potentially. You know, and Jamal Murray is back and looking good. So Denver is a good team. I don't want to take anything away from them. But if I'm, say, the Warriors, you know, sitting down there at the nine seed right now. Now, obviously, if it finishes that way, I don't think it will. But if it finishes that way, they have to worry about the play in and everything like that. But if I'm the Warriors and I line up with Denver round one, you think I'm scared? You know, Memphis at number two. I think they hold on to that. The Kings trying to make the playoffs for the first time in 16 years as the three seed. But there's one problem, Sacramento. There's one problem. The Clippers are only a game behind you. The Suns are only a game and a half behind you with KD coming back on March 1st. Dallas is only two and a half games behind you. So I say all of that to say, Sacramento, you might find yourself in the play-in game. And then finally, you know, real quick, we got New Orleans at seven, you know, but they're only a half game behind Dallas. and you know, I'll get back to them in a second. And then you got Minnesota, Golden State, as I mentioned, and then the Lake, I'm sorry, OKC, you know, rounding up as number 10. So what you think, Raph? All right. So as I look look at it, like I said, that's this is intriguing because I think with one, two, and three being Nuggets, Grizzlies, Kings, they've basically been playing good basketball all year long. The Clippers just by virtue of playing a couple more games and having a couple more losses, the only reason they're fourth, they have more wins than the Kings. Mm-hmm. They just have, they play more games because the way the schedule works out, I guess, right. the way they're they're reading, they have to play a couple more games. Um, the Suns getting a healthy KD back or even an 80% KD. Mavericks, the Kyrie, Luka piece, it could work. I think Kyrie's used to playing with the ball dominant big when he played with LeBron for all those years. So I think he can do it because I think Kyrie can come down four possessions in a row and be your instant offense and get you eight points. Eight to ten off either threes or free throws. I think you can literally go hey Luca, you run it the way you want to run it and then these next four possessions, get a ball to Kyrie, watch him do his dance and see what he can do. And I think that could be sufficient because eight points a quarter is 32 points a game. I think he, I think he's capable of getting you eight points a quarter just off the, off the, off, off the way he can't be guarded by anybody in size, and he can't be guarded by anybody bigger than him. 
So if he can work it to where he gets points, I think that's good. The Pelicans, just too many questions. I think their top player being Zion, or if you look at his Brandon Ingram, it's like, are they enough in the West to make that happen for you? The Warriors have a liability that uh, where's number 23? Yeah, he can defend people, but I don't think he does much else other yeah. than kind of like galvanize entertainment. So so let me stop you for a quick second. You know what the most surprising thing about looking at these standings were for me? Now, I know Golden State, I know Steph has had these injuries. That they're 29 and 29? No, that they're 7 and 22 on the road. Oh, I, I remember hearing that stat. They were way worse than that. It was something like three and fourteen. They it, it was a bad run, but and everybody's still scared of them. <laughs> like twenty two and seven at home, it just like that. That's one of the teams that just doesn't make any sense. But I think a number eight Warriors could be the number one Nuggets mm-hmm. because I think if they get all their pieces together healthy, they are number one team that just happened to be ranked eighth. Yep, so latest on that is um, Steph is going to be evaluated in a week, so we'll see what goes on from there. If, they can, if, if they're at 58 games, I guess with 24 games left, if he if they can stay somewhere around 500 over the next six games, say he needs to rest six more games, if they can stay somewhere around 500, he can win you two or three games just off of the fact that he's out there. Mm-hmm. Games you shouldn't win. He can win you if you got a game left against Denver, a game against you know the Grizzlies. He can just get you 34 points when you shouldn't get that many points from him, you know, and, and get you to win. Um, like I said, obviously we're talking about the West. You got to talk about, got to talk about the Lakers. Um, way down to 13, I think it's tough for them. I know they have these uh, these player additions, but I think their top two players are. One guy's older, and it's not injury-prone. It's just injury recovery. And then their next best star, AD, is just injury-prone. So I don't know I don't know how you can – you can't factor in. All right, like I said, they, they're at 50 – was it carry the two, 59? They have 23 games left. Mm-hmm. They have to win all 23 to make it to 50 wins. So about that, you know, um, their schedule starts out pretty tough coming out of the break you know because they start off with the Warriors they get Dallas and Memphis they get OKC and you know Shea out there looking for Braun you know because he want Braun to come try that play that defense during a regular game and then they still got and then they still get another Warrior Mav tilt you know so they play the Warriors and the Mavs twice so it's going to be tough for the Lakers but I got them get I got them at 10 I got them finishing at 10 I, I I hear you I just don't know how – I think – I just don't trust the teams in front of them because OKC still wants to tank somewhat. You know, I, Portland – I don't know if – I don't know if – did SGA get his money yet? He, I think he got paid last year. I don't, did he get $200 million No, paid? he did not get $200 million, no. Yeah. Um, I think the Jazz are just a sound basketball team. I think they'll win – I think that a Jazz Timberwolves matchup, Jazz Pelicans matchup, Jazz Bulls matchup. I think they just win that game off of just mm-hmm. how they function. I don't think with the Lakers, I think it is kind of a matter of like everything has to fall into place 
for them to win games. It seems like it's a struggle to win games when if anybody is off, they don't win. Everybody has to be on. Like, I don't think they have a win. Like, I, I don't have this research. Once, once we get our research department, these kind of questions will be. <laughs> but I don't think they have a win. Maybe one where LeBron has, like, less than 20 points. Like, if he played 30 or 40 minutes, if he has less than 20 points, like, I think me, I think one time I saw he had, like, 19, 10, and 10, and they won. But I think he had, like, 44 or something like that. I just remember seeing stuff like that where we watched Jokic go 19, 10, and 10. This team won about 14 points. That's a good one. I don't have that stat, but I do have this stat for you. You know, it ties into something else we were going to kind of get into. So... The Lakers' record, I don't know what their record is when LeBron scores 20 or less, but I do know that with Anthony Davis or without Anthony Davis, their record is 11 and 13, you know, which is good for 46% of their wins, 46% winning percentage. All right? All right. Their record with LeBron and Anthony uh, Davis together is 12 and 14, which is 46%. How about that for consistency? You know, but I think that I like um, the the energy that Vanderbilt will bring. I think he's going to be the big pickup in this scenario because the Lakers don't necessarily do the defense thing, you know, but <laughs> but, you know, he's energetic. And if nothing else, the effort may be a little contagious to your people like, uh, you know, D'Angelo or, you know, so I don't I don't know if I like the D'Angelo Russell fit, but I do like Malik Beasley as a shooter. I do like them picking him up. I think the Lakers are going to get to 10, but I'm literally just basing that on respect hope. for LeBron. And no, it ain't hope because I hate the Lakers, but respect, respect for Anthony Davis and LeBron James and skill. You know, I don't I don't think Utah is going to make the cut line. You know, I don't think Portland is going to make the cut line, you know, so I think we pretty much stay as is, but just insert the Lakers. But what I wanted to point out, because I think I'm a little higher on the Pelicans than you are. You know, given what you said earlier. So let me look at my numbers here. So what what got me about the Pelicans, because I thought the Pelicans could make a run. You know, um, I'm still not convinced that they can't at least get to the Western Conference Finals potentially. But I think um, the reason that I think that is because there are three games out of third right now. You know, Zion has missed 30 games and B.I., you know, only has only played, you know, 20 games or so, like barely 20 games or so. So there haven't Why been holes playing games. What's like, that? I mean, realistically, like what injuries are they having now that weren't occurring in previous years? Because I can't count how many games, how many teams guys are just not playing. And I get you gave them $170 million, but it's like, what are they doing where a strain is keeping these guys out <laughs> for 30? 30, 40 games out of 50, like we're half, we're not even, we're two thirds way through the season, 50, 50 to 55 games, depends on what team you're on. And you got guys who only played 16 games and then we're projecting them into the playoffs. I think we just need to get real, man. It's a, it's a five team race, 16 race tops out of the whole league. Like it is every year. There's hope that Lakers are making the 10. There's hope that the Warriors will get to 7-8. But really, when it comes down to it, these guys who haven't played, who've only played 20, 25 games out of 55 games, they're not going to come back in in February 
ramp it all the way up to April and carry that through the end of May and early June. The teams that have been playing all year long are the teams you're going to be, you're, you're essentially like a better word stuck with. And then when they get an injury, maybe somebody else can't force their way in. But the NBA has set it up, their season's very long. The back-to-backs, the low management, the lack of parity in the league, the salary cap, the trades, all these things, and the teams tanking for the next draft pick, they put themselves in a position where, right now, if we weren't avid sports fans, do you really have a reason to tune into the NBA? I do, because load management is over, right? Because we're avid sports fans. <laughs> sports fans is like, there's no story. There's no player going for a big record. LeBron's got, got the record for most points all time, but his team is in 13th place. Mm-hmm. You know, Giannis is probably project. you know, he his numbers are projecting that he's going to win his third MVP. But he just got injured. Jokic, he said it himself. He got picked second last in the All-Star game. He was like, my game isn't for the All-Star game. So it's like you have all of these competing factors, and the ABA just wants you to tune into the regular season. The players are basically written off the regular season. They want to just keep enough players on the court, the GMs and trainers and coaches, to keep these guys healthy enough to get to April and hope they can make a run. But realistically, man, it's like, four to six teams tops that can even say they're going to make a run the playoff the play-in being 22 of the 30 teams is just for the team so i can go check out a game in madison square garden next month and pay whatever the price is at least get to see you know some top talent if they all play anthony edwards said it best said listen man if you 70 percent or 80 percent just play he was like people come to see me like people might only come to see me one game but somebody came to see me play and i can play i want to play Mm-hmm. I just think that uh, a lot of these, the fact that we're, we're having a conversation about the playoff push, and we're hoping that a team that's in 13th can get in. <laughs> we're like, we were just hoping, we're just hoping that well, you know what works out. And I, and like I said, I, you know, I'm I'm an advocate, and I argue for LeBron all day and twice on Sunday. We had it before in our little pre our little pre meeting. I'll go back and forth. I go back and forth with my pops on it. I mean, we get real intense. You would think we didn't get along for the last 41 and a half years. But me and him go back and forth. But I'm also realistic. Some of these teams are not built, wired, constructed, molded, crafted, whatever whatever adjective you want to use for the long haul. But yet, everyone seems to operate as if they have, like, this blueprint. Like, the way Kawhi Leonard answered the question, like, you know, I really want to be here. I just want to be ready for the playoffs. He said that in December. He's a fun guy. <laughs> so, so, yo, so check it out, right? So to continue comedy hour, so, you know, we were talking about teams who could make a run. And when it all came down to it, I had an answer. And then they messed it up because they went and signed Russell Westbrook. So, <laughs> so, so when I look at the Clippers, when I look at the Clippers, and I know, and I know that number one cardinal rule is do not trust the Clippers, you know. But when I was trying to think of teams that could make a run, I was using Boston of last year as my blueprint. Yeah. You know, so you know, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum. I still don't know who's better. But then you got Kawhi and Paul George over here. I think Kawhi is better but you know like I can't really prove that because Paul George just does so much more than Kawhi does you know but the point being is that they have the two big wings like Boston had 
You know, Boston went and got Derek White. You know, Marcus Smart started hitting some threes. So they had some shooters. So I do like the Clippers. I love the Clippers getting Eric Gordon. And I love them getting Bones Highland. They just messed it all up when they got Russell Westbrook. So, you know, and, and it's is the problem. I think Russ, I think they put a lot of blame at the feet of Russ because uh, Palinka and Kurt Rambis and Linda Rambis and, and the bus and then the brain trust and their, their, their this battle they have with Clutch Sports and LeBron. <coughs> but they still get, you know, all these stars at the game. I think the Lakers, if people treated the Lakers accordingly to the way they performed, they would make adjustments. It's like if you have, like, you and I retired military, if you have a troop that's performing at an average level and your correspondence with them is letting them know you're performing at an average level, they will step it up. But if you have other people coming in telling them they're doing great, they're never gonna assess like, okay, I must be doing, I must be doing outstanding. But you know, at your core, like, yo, you guys are not performing at this celebrity elite twenty thousand dollar court size seat level. Like, the team has not performed at that level to require or even demand or ask that you're paying that much money for those seats. But they think they are, and that's why they don't evaluate their moves. Their moves have been poor every single year. So Russ became the reason that this wasn't working out. Yeah, Russ might not be the cat. He might not be MVP Russ. But if you get a guy coming off the bench who is your lead, one of the leading six men of the year candidates, giving you 15, 7, and 7, that's what you want. Any, any, if you can get any player off the bench, give you 15, 7, and 7, you put that player in. The problem is, the Lakers probably had guys like that that they could have kept without paying $49 million for them. You could have got 15 77 from Kuzma. You could have got 12 6 and 5 from KCP. You could have got big minutes, defensive minutes from Caruso, but you didn't want to pay these guys and you traded them to pay 40 plus million to Russ. And they get mad when you could have paid, you could have taken that same 49 million that Russ was getting this year and paid 17, 17, and 15. That's a lot of money, but yet you get $49 million to one guy to get mad at him because he's not doing everything else. He's like, no, your team isn't constructed properly. Deal with it. So now he's on the Clippers. I hope they. I hope he does that, has that same energy when he comes off the bench. Run like, yo, Russ, just run. Like Coach Carter style. Like, you didn't teach us any plays. What did I teach you to do? We just ran at practice. So what do you want me to do? Run? Exactly. Get the rebound, sprint out, run, and see what it works out. Because either way, it's going to be, oh, man, next year it could be the Clippers. No one's expecting anything out of you. You're the little brother in L.A. anyway. Just run with it. See, you're this not is, in a position to be a top, you're not a top team. You're not this, a top, this is, top team talent, but you're not a top team. So you might as well just go, and go out there and ball and see what happens. See, this is why I love you, because I always talk about how you make my job easy. And, you know, we were just going to talk about, you know, are we sick of the Lakers and why everybody talking about the Lakers? And I brought up the Lakers. And even though I said Russell Westbrook, you turned that whole response into about a, you know, three minute response about the Lakers with like 45 seconds of the Clippers. So why can't people get enough of the Lakers? They, they move the needle. They do move the needle. I give them that. They move the needle. They're 
They're a polarizing team. The colors are great. They're a historically great team over the last 40 years. Grape and urine? Yeah, listen, that purple and gold. Grape and urine. Go ahead. That's that's a quality color for a lot of teams. I mean, the Minnesota Vikings have it, that purple and gold. LSU, I mean, it just pops. I mean, look at, okay, granted, there's a blue and gold jersey behind you, but look at, look at it. Look at that gold pops. It just pops. You know, it's just something about it pops. And then the celebrity, the L.A., you see the Kobe and George. I mean, like, it just it just works. The colors of it just works. They have the star power between Kobe, Shaq, Magic, Worthy, Kareem, Pat Riley, Phil Jackson, Dr. Jerry Buss, Jerry West, Elgin Bale. I mean, like, I can't run down that many names for any of the teams that are that impactful to the NBA landscape as the Lakers have had. You know, and recently you have LeBron and you have AD, you got the championship. Um, so I think that's why you and I were discussing earlier about you're sick of pundits always coming up with trade scenarios to make LeBron's teams better. Yo, they be talking about like, let's get Zach Levine like he doesn't miss as many games as Anthony Davis. They were saying it as if the Lakers had real trade bait. They don't. They're they're most they're highly the highest tradable commodity in my opinion is Anthony Davis. People will say LeBron James. I'm like, LeBron James has been viewed as historically great his entire career. So if you're the Lakers, you're not going to trade him for peanuts. But if you're another team, knowing that the Lakers already come off of him, you're not going to give him much either. So you're at a stalemate. AD, I think he's a little bit more tradable because I think he's younger. And I think another team might say, you know what? We get him with our training staff. We drop 12 to 16 pounds off of him, keep the stress off his legs and knees. We can get this out of him versus what the Lakers wanted. So you might be able to get a Rudy Gobert kind of deal for him. Because if you think about what KD, the KD to, to Phoenix deal, it wasn't like a monster haul in return for Brooklyn. It's a matter of like, okay, can we get these kinds of players to just fit our scheme and then, I think they just extended Jock Vaughn, so I think Brooklyn's going full rebuild, and they're going to try to make some moves. I mean, they can't get rid of Ben Simmons, which I don't know what's going on with the situation. But it seemed like the Lakers, like you said, the punters are always trying to make all these these grand trades. It's like, where is the the motivation for the team opposite the Lakers to give up any real assets for this year? Like when they were trying to trade Russ in that pick. I heard I heard Russ in that pick, Russ in two picks for Zach Levine, Russ in both picks for DeMar DeRozan. I heard Russ in two picks for Kyrie. I heard Russ straight up for Kyrie. I heard Russ and AD for Kyrie and KD. I'm like, have y'all not watched? And then when the trades didn't go down, we heard in our sports group chat and some some television punters like, why don't people want the Lakers to win? They don't want anybody else to win. That's not the Look, job. I, I can only speak for myself, right? I just want two teams to line up, play a basketball game, and whoever wins, wins. I'm good with whatever the result is. Obviously, I would want my team to win, but we don't do that very often. But the point being, you know, like, if the Lakers are good, that's fine. If the Lakers can't make the playoffs, that's fine. But what I don't need is people sitting up there every day with these scenarios and then everybody's like, they're just saying names. That's all they're doing. They're just saying names. It makes no sense. They're just saying names. Not a single. I heard so many propositions and I was like, 
why would the other team do that? You have told us for the better part of 12 months that Russell Westbrook doesn't fit and he should be traded, but yet I'm supposed to be excited if I'm the GM of the Magic to give up my first overall pick and <laughs> picks for Russ so he can help your young team and I can just re- like no that's that was it was never going to work that way. The Lakers didn't manufacture quality. They didn't structure a team that's going to be for the long haul. But why they don't people around LeBron? It didn't work, and then each move, each subsequent move after post championship, each one of their moves at some level has been a bit baffling. But why don't people get tired of it, though? That's the thing that always bothers me. Like you know, it's one thing. Like I always uh, joke with my Dallas Cowboy fan buddies. You know, like at some point, even you have to get sick of hearing this all the time or whatever the case may be. Like as much as I love my teams, any of them, I will not sit there and listen to, you know, three to four hours of just talk about only my team. Like I want to hear like a collective about a little bit of everything. That's why we talk about a little bit of everything, because we don't want to be stagnant to just talk about those same topics all the time. So how do people why do people not get tired of this? Because I think it it just kind of cultivates so many different arguments. You can argue that if your argument is LeBron isn't the GOAT, this this information helps that argument. You want to argue that AD and LeBron are the best two players together when they have a whole team. You can use that argument because you can use the championship from 2020. So that can be your argument. You can use the argument that LeBron is one of the most polarizing players in sports. So that's enough to get people to watch. So that's your executive argument. Like, okay, well, people will watch this because that's the conversation. So there's so many different vantage points that you can come at this particular topic with versus the way we approach it. Like, okay, who's going to make the playoffs? Who's going to make the play in? You think they will. I think they won't. And our conversation is simple. It's not a matter. I don't, I don't have a bunch of excuses for Lakers. I just think that what you need to win you need you need young players and you need people who come out of essentially nowhere and play above your expectation. I don't think they have that player. I think you need your stars to play like stars. I think you need your scheme to fit your players and you need someone to rise above where they normally play, i.e. last year, Dallas, Jalen Brunson. No one really came to the year thinking he was a $120, $130, $45 million a year guy, but mm-hmm. Playoffs, he played that way. So you had Luca playing Luca ball. Then you had some of these guys like Bullock hitting like one game he'd go over 10 from three. Next game he goes seven for 10 from three. You're going to get that. But when you have a guy like that who isn't a, a, your standard go to guy, you need him every once in a while to get you 18 to 20 points out of nowhere. You need those kind of moments. And I think if you have your star solidified and your role players can make that move, you're good to go. The Lakers don't have role players that can do that. Austin Reeves, I think people like him, but I don't know if he gets any kind of minutes on. I don't think he's getting. I don't think he's getting that run in Dallas. I don't think he's getting a rotation like that in even in, in the same city with the Clippers. I don't think he's getting that kind of burn in Sacramento. But because the Lakers that's all they have, you know, he's AR15, even though he doesn't like that nickname, which I can respect. He gets that kind of run in LA. But when it comes down to it, you're not you can't lean on him day in and day out. 
whereas some teams can. I think a team like Sacramento, they have young guns that are fast. They play fast. They play hard. They play for a hard-nosed kind of coach. You can make those moves. The Lakers are an old team but no one exceptional on their team outside of LeBron and AD. Yeah, so let them fade. Let them fade. I mean, we got Golden State out here, the defending champions, who are 29 and 29, like we just mentioned, 7 and 22 on the road. They ain't sitting out here talking about, oh, the Warriors should make this trade, or the Warriors should do this, or you know what I think would make the Warriors a contender again? It's just so mind-baffling to me. Like, I just don't understand it on any level, because, you know, like, when and, and if they do end up trading AD as you proposed, you know, I might just have to turn off my TV for a week, you know, because all that, that's going to dominate everything. And earlier, you know, in our meeting, you know, you brought up like the Tom Brady, you know, slash um, Aaron Rodgers, you know, where are they going to go? The people who move the needle, that's, that's you, because your, your conversation is fantasy. These guys always act like they have like people on the inside. If I'm a GM, I know for a fact, I am not telling Stephen A. Smith exactly what I'm doing because he works on TV. I'm not telling Doug Gottlieb exactly what I'm doing. I'm not telling Colin Cowherd what I'm doing. I might say, hey, we've been in discussions about this or I'm, you know, like you have a scout who talks to the GM and they can say something. But for the most part, you're not going to just spill the beans. So you need people to tune in. So I need who deserves more of the credit for the Super Bowl, BNME or Andy Reid or Patrick Mahomes? You need those kind of clicks to get your TV show off. Because the TV show, you and I are two people talking about sports, so we can broaden our conversation because we don't need to click the massive needle. We need to reach the people who want to hear what we talk about. The reason that people talk about the Lakers and LeBron and getting Tom Brady to the Raiders or to the 49ers or getting to Miami or getting Aaron Rodgers to the Jets or to, to Raiders himself is because you need that fantasy piece to generate and move the needle. LeBron moves the needle for the NBA because not not a lot of other players do. You got but, Kyrie. But where do we go from there? Like LeBron ain't going to be here forever. Well, they'll figure out another way. Somebody else, somebody else will come up and be either another team will come up and be the polarizing figure, or maybe KD will go to Denver next year and play for another number one seed. Like or, or, or maybe we got to get Anthony Edwards out of Minnesota. <laughs> he, I mean, like I said, I, he he's big personality. I like John Morant. I like him. I like. Uh, like shout out to my son, my son said Jordan Poole. Jordan Poole's his guy. So maybe you need you need to just start putting some of these other guys on billboards. Jason Tatum with the hair and the hairline. I mean, like the guy fits beautifully on the on the board. Like matter of fact, those shoes though. He was projected on the side of uh, the Radisson Hotel downtown with his Jordan brand, but it was like all projected like the whole side of the hotel. So it's pretty dope. I think you just need to get more guys in front of the camera as LeBron career starts to tick away. And just start putting other players out there. So the conversation different. Because right now, the conversation surrounding the guys who move the needle. There's only a few guys that move the needle in the NBA. Contrary to popular belief. Even the guy won the MVP. Jokic won the MVP two, two years in a row. Giannis won two years before that. And so two guys won the last four MVPs. And people are like, eh. 
and it's kind of like just blow it off. Well, I think they also have the non-American thing working against them as well. You know, English isn't necessarily Giannis's thing, you know, to some degree. Like, you know, he doesn't seem – well, he seems more comfortable now, but he didn't always seem comfortable at times. He's funny. No, he is, but 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 I think that he at times – but that was something he had to build to. He didn't come out the gates with all that personality and, you know, all that to where it's like from day one, LeBron had to because the camera was going to be on him regardless. So he had to figure out, I don't know what his personality was before all that, but he had to find a way to navigate through that and deal with that. Whereas like for Giannis and Jokic, that was probably new for them. They just kind of put your head down and play basketball guys, you know? So like, but when I look at the league, you know, because we were talking about this earlier and I was like, you know, you got Joel Embiid and, you know, you got, you know, Steph Curry's a star, you know, like whatever the case may be. And then we were trying to figure out like that next generation of star. And, you know, and I like it was literally I don't know who that is because, you know, John Moran, you know, I'm always afraid he's going to get in trouble or something. You know, I don't know what's going on with him. You know, Don, I asked about Donovan Mitchell, you know, what about him? But. I still don't even really remember him talking that much, but he just seems like a fun dude, you know, whatever the case may be like, you know, but I don't know if he's very vocal, but he also played in Utah and now is in Cleveland. So the camera isn't necessarily always finding him in that way. For apples, as far as like a entertainment buzz spot. Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? And people like Dame, you know, are a little older than we think of them as. You know, so like a lot of these dudes probably aren't going to be what they are today in five years or whatever the case may be. And we go through this a lot. You know, when Jordan retired, you know, initially as he was getting older, at least when they won the title in Utah and he initially stepped away, there was that like, what are we going to do now? You know, and I'm sure like, you know, as Bird's back was hurting, the league went through that like Bird and Magic. What are we going to do? So I'm sure there's always this moment. But but this is the first time without doing any research we can point to bird magic you had jordan right and then you had jordan and his 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 competition with with the pistons and then you had dominique who was like the high flyer like jordan wasn't many guys like that but you had dominique those high flyer so as you go through the 90s mid 90s you get your kobe ai then you had you still had the big man you still had lajuan you still had barkley there you still had pippen you still had coaching personalities you still had like, like, you know, yeah, like personalities and like just all all the sport, just like everybody was like mm-hmm. tuned into sport. And then early two thousands, Kobe, Shaq started winning rings. Then you had LeBron come in with D Wade. So like you had like a seamless transition to where Jordan wasn't dominating when Kobe was winning. He wasn't the needle mover when Kobe was winning. And then after Kobe won, it was still Jordan. And then LeBron came in, and it was still Jordan. Whereas now LeBron's been in the league so many so long that Steph Curry should be a guy that gets talked about a lot of claims as well as KD because of their accomplishments throughout the season. But they get injured, they miss years, and then it's LeBron. So then you have LeBron for so long, <laughs> kind of like he just he's like I won't say a cloud like a negative, but it's like it's there. But he can. But you can talk about all of them. You know, like take your thirty-minute LeBron segment and make it twenty minutes. You know, take it, yeah. you. You can. You can find ways to add these people, and you can even 
bring it to where you can have a LeBron topic while still talking about these other people. Like you can fill your needs and fill mine too. You know, everybody wants their needs filled, you know, but you know, at the end of the day, you know, it's just frustrating because, you know, as we do this and, you know, we're looking at what's going on in the landscape, you know, what's happening out in the sports world and everything. And, you know, a lot of times, like, you got to go through four or five different things before you, you even get to the non-LeBron thing or the non-Laker thing. And it would be one thing if the Lakers were relevant from the standpoint of they're a contender this year, even if they were the five seed. You're like, hey, you get in the playoffs, you don't want to see the Lakers. But I can't really make that point if I'm even saying like, oh, yeah, they'll get to the 10 seed. You know, so like, why? Yeah. so why are we wasting all this time? You know, when there's these teams out here, you know, like this is the time. To highlight Memphis, this is the time to highlight Jokic, you know, not necessarily Jokic, but the team. Denver having this five-game lead is the one seed. Now, granted, Denver could fall right flat on their face. You know what I mean? But you let that happen. You know, we don't have to discuss them now. Start putting more. You got to put faces on TV. You got to do the interviews. Like, you got to do the shoes. You, may, you might, like, they might, I can't start maybe thinking about the idea of bringing back shoe commercials and connecting Spike Lee, Jordan, is it the shoes, Penny and Chris Rock, little Penny, like you might have to start putting a little bit more effort into generating the 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 attention on your players because right now you're just allowing this idea that the money is coming in from all around the world. And we as local fans, stateside fans, who like I say, if you look over your shoulder the Kobe and Jordan moments, we're looking for that. Right now, your Eastern Conference, Western Conference matchup, is there a particular matchup that's like, yo, I want to see that because the answer, the winner of that answers this question. We don't have that. Remember like all those years when Kobe went back to back to back and LeBron and the Cleveland Cavaliers couldn't get and make the NBA Finals? And I already talked about it in interviews. Like, man, I'm sorry we couldn't get we couldn't give the people what they wanted because that would have been the answer. Right now, you don't have that. We're going to get Ja versus Tatum as your your matchup or Zion and Ja in the Western Conference Finals. Like, right, like they, they're not generating, like, I know the NBA is a big story, narrative, storytelling, you know, entertainment entity, but they don't, they, I don't have a story. I don't have a story. I don't <laughs> well, you see, I had, to pull, I had to pull the Kevin Love against Cleveland out. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't have a story. Like, like literally, Nike made commercials, Kobe and Le, LeBron, before the finals. Mm-hmm. And when it didn't happen, they were like, well. Back to this whole drawing board. <laughs> so then they brought it back for another year, and it didn't work out. So it was like, you, you want to have that, but it feels as if, as a fan, I want, I want that narrative to be broad. And the NBA is kind of trying to get you to focus in on, well, at least at least the, the, the media funds want you to focus in on a, one particular player, one particular team. And it's like, give me something. See, give me something I, to look forward to in April and May. Coming into the season, I would have loved to have seen Boston Golden State Part 2, you know, just because I think the basketball was just good when they were on the court together. That was, you know, it was the rematch, you know, the last year Boston was the like young bucks there for the first time. Golden state was the elder statesman of we belong here. So I would have loved to have seen that rematch, you know, coming into the season, 
you know, maybe I would love to see Giannis against the Warriors from the standpoint of the old guard, you know, it's just the last stand, you know, versus the new up and comer. He's got his title, but now he needs that second title to solidify himself. But that's me making that up in my head. You know what I mean? Like versus like, like right now we can get Suns Bucks and that'd be like that'd generate the the the, the narrative conversation of is the Kevin Durant bus driver narrative or the easy along for the ride. So that, that gives you something, but that's not like, that's not what we came into the season with. Right. You know, and I just feel like the league is like manufacturing these storylines and then the GMs and coaches are just butchering it. And then by now it's like, like so many, like so many years, man, like the last five or six years has been like, it's been some, somewhat of a disinterest. Like the four years at Cleveland and, and Golden State were going to the NBA Finals, there was a bit a bit of a disinterest because you knew once Golden State got hot and LeBron was killing the East that first year, it was like okay, and they ran it back, and then LeBron and the Cleveland Cavaliers beat Steph and the Warriors to get the ring, and then they brought in Kevin Durant, but then. Cleveland still was dominating the East, and then you knew Kevin Durant and with the Warriors was going to get to the finals, and then they ran it back. And the East was a little bit more up in the air, but you knew the West was still a lock. Granted, the the Houston series kind of changed it a little bit, but for the most part, you had a feeling that the West was going to be a lock. 27 straight threes. Missed. Like, <laughs> you had a layup. I don't know. Which <laughs> so when you, when you have that, when you have all that going on, it kind of like, you know, it kind of ruined the buzz a little bit. But then you had the Kawhi year when, you know, when they won it. And you started getting like a little bit of a buzz. Philly was looking good with Ben Simmons and Jimmy Butler and Joel and B. You thought that was going to be, oh, that's going to be enough. That's going to be a right. nice ride. And then LeBron went west. And then a couple of guys went east. Okay, this, this, we, we're good. We got this locked in. And then Brooklyn made their move to get KD and Kyrie. Like, whoa. Then they got James Harden. You're like, whoa, okay, this is going to be great. And then they just say, you know what? And they just, they just threw it all away. So, like, there's, there's, there's almost nothing left to really, like, hope for. Maybe well, watching see how it plays out. Well, you know, the NBA was all about rivalries, too, you know, from the standpoint of teams just met each other all the time. So, like, you had the Bulls and Pistons. You know, you had, before that, you had Sixers Celtics in the 80s. You know, like, in the West, you know, like, the Lakers just kind of ran through everybody in the 80s. But then when we got to the 90s, you had a couple of like jazz rockets or, you know, you had some Sun Sonics, Barkley against Kemp. You had those matchups that kind of came to be. But even now, like going back to your point, you know, if Memphis and Denver chalk holds and they make it to the Western Conference Finals, you know, outside of just watching basketball and somebody new is going to make it to the finals. You know, I don't know what that rivalry is or what that intensity is between those two teams. And and I think that fans, like, think about this, right? And, of course, this would never happen, but just stay with me. You know where I'm going with this. But let's just say somehow the finals ended up being Cleveland and Memphis. You know, people would explode and lose their mind. It would be the, probably the lowest rated finals ever. You know, maybe people maybe people will watch Ja, you know, but for the most part, it'll be a pretty low rated finals, you know. And to me, I just don't understand it because like going back to um, I think it was the Spurs and Nets was the worst rated finals in history. And I was like, dude, you got Tim Duncan over here, Jason Kidd over here. 
it's NBA Finals. Like, why, why aren't you watching? And I because you watch like, the Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean, and I get it. It's not it's not a new thing where like you want these marquee matchups. But for instance, if we got Denver and Memphis this year in the Western Conference Finals, then I would want Denver, Denver and Memphis to keep their teams intact. So if they ran it back next year, it can get the rivalry like moniker attached to it. That was one of the big knocks with the Cleveland Warriors when they brought in KD. Rich Jefferson said himself, he's like, yeah, we thought we were going to run it back. We thought they got us one year, we got the next year. The expectation was third year, maybe we'll try to run it back. So that would have been the piece that you talked about all year. That would have been the piece that got you through a pretty pretty much somewhat pseudo-boring All-Star weekend is what's the matchup? Memphis versus... Except... Is, it, is that going to match up again? How's that going to work out? You know, is Jai really good in the West? So I think a lot of that, a lot of those conversations would have been a little bit more. You would have got your commercial. You would have got your Kobe, LeBron, Puppet commercial. You would have got your, you know, you would you would you would have got all the things you expect, you know, from a rivalry sense or a story or narrative sense. Now you, you what you have is is pretty much jumbled, and it's no one wants to jumble because right. we we haven't you know followed any kind of team. And I think their teams are playing good basketball. I think the Kings are a great story. I think the Clippers might really have a shot because I think they made the right moves and I think they have the right type of players and the right type of coach to fit their system. I think the way they play is winning basketball because, you know, the way they work the bigs and the way they work the shooting. But their star player doesn't want to be on the forefront of the story. So if the Clippers made the finals, was that? If, the Clipper, if the Clippers made the finals, would they get Laker attention? Yeah, I think same, people, same city. I, I think you might even get some fans to switch over. It's like, yeah, we doing this for LA. Hey, did the hey, Clippers fans? Did Clippers fans sure really become Angels Warrior fans, fans at one point? I say I'm pretty sure some Angels fans became Dodger fans when they were in the World Series. I I guarantee you it happened because it's my city. It's where I'm from. It's my city. You know how you know how it goes. Man, I, if if Kawhi. And Paul George were out there with this 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 personality and like putting it out there to where you know put it on me. I want to will this team from you know point A to point championship. If that was the the the, the standard all year, then I think people would get behind the Clippers. But it's not the case. Is these guys just want to get to the playoffs and they let all these other players win the games. You know, just from a petty standpoint, I would love for Russell Westbrook to make it to the finals, <laughs> just from a petty standpoint. Like, honestly, I would want that just because it would go in the next year with some with a chip. Because I don't know how many times, like, the Lakers play each other, but, like, when the Union in the West, you play each other, like, four times, maybe? Yeah, four some teams. Times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, on, like, now, now as an NBA executive, I'm putting that, t- that game on TV no matter what. That's Sunday night basketball at some point. That's that Saturday might, night ABC. That might be my Christmas Day game. Yeah. I mean, then I would have it to where the Clippers were the home team just to make it even like, like just I mean, like you you can create your storylines because ultimately it's entertainment. Right. You real life events to create this 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 entertainment that you just kind of build off of. It's not scripted. So yeah, I can stop that scripted stuff. Whoever's bringing that up. It's just you, you can have that. 
but I I like that part of it because I I like the sport, I like the storyline, I like the narrative. I like whatever whatever story Jordan can say about what Kobe was saying to him during that back down is a story we can talk about. But as SGA backing down De'Aaron Fox, if I don't get that buzz, if you don't create that buzz for me as an as an NBA, then the OKC Kings series it could be it could be a thing. But you're well, not I'm waiting. To- I'm waiting to see what LeBron going to do when the SGA come down that lane. You know what I'm saying? That's what I'm waiting for. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm let him lay it up and take it back up the court and give it a <laughs> when he look at his hand and shoot the three. Yeah. So, you know, so as the playoffs come near, you know, obviously at a later date, we're probably going to be getting into, you know, which coaches are probably going to get fired, who's going to take over, all that kind of stuff, when Ime Udoka is going to come back. But in the meantime, we could talk a little bit about Mr. Sean Payton. So, you know, uh, what about these Broncos, man? They're going to finish second in this division. They're going to knock off Mahomes. They're going to win this division because Sean Payton is the man. I heard Sean Payton was the quarterback whisperer. I heard he was God on earth. You know, I heard this man was the man. This dude did one year at TV and people forgot that he had back-to-back seven, nine years with Drew Brees in his prime, but it's cool. Um, same record as McCarthy, basically. Same, yeah, basic same record as McCarthy. I think Sean Payton is a byproduct of my narrative. I talk about this all the time. I think championships are overvalued when it comes to how much credit they bestow upon the recipients of this championship. I think the guard on a football team is important. But I don't know if he can walk around and get hired as a head coach 15 years later because he was the guard on the Super Bowl team of the Chiefs. Onside kicks are important. He got the one onside kick where he was definitely recovered by the Colts. He let the ball go for some reason when they said blue ball. And then they said a white ball and they changed it. So that that was all pretty chaotic. Like I said, I think, I think Russell Wilson's season was so bad last year, and it didn't make any sense why it was that bad. So I think if you just simplify it, as Sean Payton would, I think he's going to make marketable improvement. And I think that marketable improvement is going to be viewed as astronomical improvement because the season was so bad. I don't know what Sean Payton has shown everybody else that says why he's such a great coach because New Orleans had one of the better teams in NFC South every year. And they played in one, he played in one Super Bowl. I think they played in the other NFC championship against the Rams with the no pass interference call. But that's all I can really think of. From the Super Bowl to that NFC championship game, you had the Minneapolis miracle that they lost. Um, you had the average years, 79 or less than that. You had the Marshawn running through them, the the, the, the Beast Quake run. The 7 and 9 Seahawks. Seven nine Seahawks at that point. Yeah. Like I said, I just think that, I think he'll, I think he'll be a good coach. It's just he's in the wrong division to prove that he's a good coach. And I, I do have a source. I want everyone to say this only. Uh, I do have a source. I talked to uh, someone who plays for the Raiders, and he said it would be kind of cool if Aaron Rodgers came to the team. 
He said he would miss Derek Carr. He's like, he's like Aaron Rodgers would be cool. <laughs> End quote. <laughs> Aaron Rodgers ends up on the Raiders. And where do you put Sean Payton and Russell Wilson? Even though I'm not a big fan of Josh McDaniels, I am a fan of Rodgers and Adams. So I think on third and six from the 40, they can just go back to a bread and butter play that's not in Daniel's playbook. Maybe the play is in there, but the route is, hey, man, remember that route we ran against uh, Chicago? Yeah, run that one. Okay. Chicago. (laughs) I I, I can see that happening more than just McDaniels orchestrating this great playbook, blah, 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 because he tried it with multiple quarterbacks. He's just, you know, we we already got my feelings with, with McDaniels. So I think Aaron Rodgers to the Raiders. I think that makes I think that makes a split between Denver and the Raiders. You know, I don't know if they win both of those games. Patrick Mahomes has shown that he's 27 and 30. Like the Chiefs are 27 and 30 in divisions since he's gotten there. Or 27 and 3, it keeps saying 30. 27 and 3, so 27 out of 30 wins. I don't see that going to three and three. Best case scenario, maybe you're lucky you get five and one. Mathematically, based on like your five and a half to half a game over the last five years, because they lost three. Um, and he's undefeated on the road, so he'll come into your building and beat you. And Los Angeles Chargers, I'm not big on their coach. I think sometimes it can just, you know, he can just get kind of squirrely. But Herbert makes throws. He makes plays when when the rubber meets the road. I think he makes plays, and I, and I think that the expectation that we're going to come with Sean Payton, you start the year two and three, and you don't look that much better. And what's the check they're cutting him? Are they cutting him? Are they cutting him at twenty million, or is it what, what number they set on? I think it was. I think it was close to that. Yeah. So you cutting the guy twenty million dollars, and you play seventeen games. Yeah, I need a. I need you to. I need you to earn that. I need you. To, I need thirteen wins out of you. And I don't know. I don't know if you get thirteen wins. See, uh, Sean Payton uh, is going to learn real quick that Patrick Mahomes is the final boss. You know, <laughs> you want to go fight M. Bison? You know, what I'm saying go see Patrick Mahomes. You know, I do think that they are going to be better. They have the defense in place. You know, so they do have that going for them. You know, word on the street is Mr. Rex Rex Ryan maybe coming back, you know, into the league. So that'll be fun. He was super successful as a coach. You know, but, you know, I think that if Denver is truly mapping this out, they think they can win the division because you're supposed to believe in yourself. So you think you can win the division. But I think they can finish second, you know, because I don't trust anything Josh McDaniel centric. And Raphael Rutley, correct me if I'm wrong, but you were like Mr. Daniel Jones is better than Aaron Rodgers and Aaron Rodgers don't, don't throw for 230 yards or whatever it was. So, you know, what I mean, so so I'm not scared of Aaron Rodgers if I'm Denver, you know, and, and I got Mr. Sertain over here as well. You know, um, as far as the Chargers go. All Herbert does is throw. Until they show me that they're willing to run the ball, I can shut that down to some degree because we saw Denver beat the Chargers the last game of the season, even with Russell Wilson playing as bad as he's playing. So I I don't know what Russell, Russell Wilson's deal is. I don't know if he's washed. I don't know if he's declining. I don't know if he's just done. I don't know if he can come back. But be that as it may, 
Sean Payton would be one of the coaches that I would think could get something out of him. But I don't you, think you just say you don't know what he's got left. I don't know what he's got left. The coach that we both feel is overvalued and overrated is going to pair himself with the quarterback. We don't know it has anything left. Okay, so and so what came first? What came first, the chicken or the egg? You know, <laughs> was it Breeze or Peyton? Breeze. Okay. Well, with that being said, <laughs> he thought he, he just was in San Diego and they thought he was too short. They didn't think he would last. That's when they drafted six foot four Philip Rivers. Well, you they, know, he had a bump shoulder too. But speaking you know, of Philip Rivers, he hurt his shoulder in the last game that he played in San Diego, and they shipped him off after that, going for a fun right in front of Philip Rivers. But speaking of Phillip Rivers, speaking of Phillip Rivers, because we don't want to make this a Sean Payton segment, you know, because we got some other coaches to talk about as well. But speaking of Phillip Rivers, he gave the blessing for for Shane Steichen of Philadelphia Eagle Super Bowl fame to become the head coach in Indianapolis. You know, like, you know, we didn't know who was going to get the Colts job because the Colts literally interviewed the whole league. You know, and Jeff Saturday, they, they interviewed everybody. So I didn't know who was going to get that job. This came out of left field. But, you know, I asked you this the other day because I was like, does the NFL not care about tampering? Because they talking about the Colts flew out to the Super Bowl, talked to Steichen on Friday. He won them over with his leadership and his character. And then Philip Rivers gave the stamp of approval. And then day after the Super Bowl, day after the Super Bowl, he got a job. I think you just need permission. I don't know. I think I think when it comes to coaches, you just need permission from the team that he's under contract with to have the conversation. I'm not 100% sure. I just remember, I hear, like I've been hearing that term. Mm-hmm. Uh, this team was given permission to speak to, because you have that off week. A lot of Super Bowl coaches, that off week in between, like in years previous, I remember them in route to the Super Bowl mm-hmm. week of the Pro Bowl, having a conversation. So I think you just have to have permission. My thing is this. Um, why? Don't piss my pocket and tell me it's raining. You know who you're going to hire. Why interview 20 guys? If you think, if you aren't locked in to what who you want to hire, is it really 20 head coaching candidates out of 32 actual jobs you mean to tell me there's 32 filled jobs and you got 19 additional dudes that could potentially be head coaches it just doesn't make any sense that math doesn't math up don't go to the just go with whomever you've already discussed with your circle of people and just hire that guy if you want to just do the Rooney rule piece you know you want to hire, you know, if you know you're not going to hire one a black candidate or a minority candidate, you're going to go through the Rooney Rule, whatever. That's what you're going to do. But there's no way you thought 20 of these guys would be potential head coaches. When they didn't, like, if it was only a pot of 20 and all five teams all interviewed the same 20 guys, okay, maybe. But you mean to tell me you scoured this whole league and you got 19 other guys that you think <laughs> head coaches? while this other team had 14 other guys that could potentially head coaches and this other team had 12 and this other team had 15. So, so, so what's the play here? So we just watched Steichen help out and rehabilitate or whatever Jalen hurts. So is Bryce young the move or, you know, are we looking at Stroud or Richards? I mean, like where, where do they go with this? 
in Houston or no in, in uh, Indianapolis. Indy, you you got to take the best available quarterback to you, or if you want the best guy, trade up the one. Yeah, because they got, got Michael Pittman, and I like him. You got you got like you you have to because you you already have three full seasons of let's bring in free agent, hope it works. It didn't work. You have the surprise retirement of Andrew Luck. I think who they run with Jacoby Brissett that year. That was their guy. And then you had the surprise free agent, free agent, free agent. Pair your new head coach, the new quarterback, coordinator, and see if it works. If it doesn't, you're going to get 17 games a year no matter what. Indianapolis Colts fans or loyal fans, you're going to sell out Lucas Oil Stadium no matter what. And then you're going to have a good defense. Your offensive line is pretty solid. You got to be running back. You don't have to pay him because you probably franchise him. And you just keep it simple. Can we win with rookie quarterback, rookie quarterback deal structure, you know, contract structure, rookie coach, and just run with it? Don't overcomplicate it. Just get. And you have to believe you can. You have to believe you can. You have to do that. You have to. You have to be all in because you can't get a rookie coach and then try to go get Derek Carr and then institute his philosophy. When he already has six or seven, he has a crazy number of like Tom Sula, Gruden, McDaniels. How many head coaches have been in Oakland since he's been there? It's been yeah, a couple more. The, yeah. So you get three or four head coaches, four or five offensive coordinators, and you want to bring him in with your rookie head coach. Now, just go ahead, let him go to the Jets. I'll let him go to New Orleans, wherever he wants to go. Take your so, what do, so what do you think of the hire, though? Well, the hires, I, I don't – I'm always wary of a guy who gets hired when I think his talent on the side of the ball is top tier. Like, if you can get – like, if you are an Atlanta defensive coordinator this year, you can get that Atlanta defense. It doesn't really have that doesn't really draft stud Atlanta player or f- football players. Like they don't get a lot of five star out of college recruits. They don't get a lot of top five defensive players in the draft. If you can take that defense collectively as a group and get them from like twenty seven to twenty eight, they normally are to like twelve. Then I know part partly is your scheme getting guys from twenty eight to twelve. But if you just have top talent all across the board and the defensive side has top talent across the board, so your offense is getting the ball back at the 40-yard line or the 45-yard line or punts every every possession or turnovers, like i.e. The, the old Ravens teams, hey, yeah, you got 65 yards to go for the end zone every time. You get 30, you get a field goal. Or you have big play, Devontae Smith, big play, A.J. Brown. I'm like, what are you doing as an offensive coordinator? What are you doing to let me know, hey, this is my scheme that I'm putting out here? And you're getting away with the bush push. <laughs> you get, Yeah, you're getting away with the, the rugby scrum. And your quarterback is known just throughout the years that we've known him as a professional. Even back to his college days, I'm calling him professional because I think he, he handled himself like a professional even in college. It's like, you might not have had any impact on Jalen Hurts. It might simply be his intrinsic 
like resolve to grow and be better and you just call plays and he just got better with whomever he's working with. If he worked directly with Steichen all off season and that was the narrative and that was a story and it was like he was glued to him and that's how he got a, became a better passer. Okay, I'll give you a little bit of that. But A.J. Brown came in in the trade late at, at the draft. Devontae Smith was already there and then he just so uh, I, just, I just think that when you have that top talent, I'm kind of weary of a guy who had top talent and this they had one year where they were like great. Yeah, like he's for me, he's definitely a wait and see. You know, um, I like Philip Rivers. Still don't think he's a Hall of Famer. But if you have that type of, you know, blessing or whatever the case may be, you know, I guess it's worth a shot to some degree, you know, like because a lot of people probably do feel like he's a Hall of Famer and, you know. We'll see what happens, you know, but that other coordinator from Philly, you know, taking over in Arizona, you know, that'd be Mr. Gannon. You know, I don't know what he going to do, you know, like no Kyler Murray probably next year. They still got Colt McCoy for another year. So, I mean, five wins at best. But, you know, your argument um, just now about <clears throat> Steichen, about Philly's defense, having all the talent and you know, providing them short fields. That's how I feel about Gannon. Like, you know, with the defensive talent that they had, uh, I don't know what his impact was. Because even talking to a bunch of Philly fans, you know, within our group, you know, all they did was complain about the dude, you know, and they were waiting for somebody to come rescue them and take him away. And especially if you could get Vic Fangio, you know, allegedly to replace him, you know. So as I, so as I look, you know, at Arizona, and they're already talking about potentially trading DeAndre Hopkins. You know, I just, I just don't see a lot of talent there to begin with. You know, Brian Flores said he took the Minnesota job because he felt um, there was something fishy going on in Arizona. Uh-huh. Like, I don't know if he felt as if he was going to get hired. Kyler Murray's going to get healthy. He goes 3-14. And they gets fired, and they hired the guy they really want. Maybe that was the case. I had a conversation with uh, my sports enthusiasts and my pops. Like I said, I felt the same way. I felt like I wouldn't go to a team that had a quarterback that was rehabbing a, a year-long injury. Because one, he scrambles, he's not that big, and you paid him his big contract. It was like if you're not, if you're a seven and four. After 11 games, and he can come back. I don't know if you bring him back because if you're seven and four, you can just ride with the guy who got you seven and four. If you're four and seven, I don't know if you bring him back because it's like we're four and seven. What's the point of bringing him back? So I think with the weight, the way he plays, his size, and his contract, I'm expecting him to miss the whole year because I think he tore his ACL in December timeframe. It was late. It was late. So best case scenario, he's a one year post injury. He's already you're already nine, 10 games into the season. With not I don't know what their Colt McCoy situation is. Maybe they bring in somebody else. Maybe they get a rookie that, you know, flashes the pain, whatever the case may be. But more likely, you're going to have a pretty poor first season. And I don't know if his defensive talent in Philly was a reason that he got hired. If you can translate that with JJ Watt retiring, no offense, like you, you're gonna get you're gonna get sub twenty five ranked offense 
with Colt McCoy, whoever you have. You're going to be 27, 28. Well, I'm here to see. I'm here to see what happens the first time a team runs in motion against his team next season. You better switch out of the man to man. (laughs) Check Tampa. (laughs) Check the cover, too. Just you know, check Tampa, check Tampa, boom. So, so out of all the, out of, out of all the new head coaches, this is probably the one that I'm the least high on. You know, I'm probably at the bottom there because I look at Mr. D'Amico Ryan's, you know, over in Houston, and if nothing else, I figure he'll have the defense playing okay. You know, um, they got a chance to draft the quarterback as well. You know, so Davis Mills is not the answer. You know, because I was looking at this. And, you know, the Texans, they they just weren't good. They were last in the league in rushing, you know, yards per game. So if you got some running back. Yeah, that too. But but, a couple of his games, a game against Philly, he he tore Philly up. He did. But overall, it just didn't play like that. And I mean, he got hurt towards the end of the season as well. Missed the last couple of games. So, you know, but But, it is. But but if you're going to have a rookie quarterback, it looked productive. Right. Right. But if you but if you're gonna have a rookie quarterback, I figure you might wanna be able to run the ball. But you know, but this one, you know, so Davis Mills is not the answer. 196.7 passing yards per game. So that sounds Daniel Jones like. Wow. You know, and, and I just you know, I just look at it from the standpoint of, you know, you gotta draft a new quarterback, you got a defensive coach. So my hope is that D'Amico Ryan's doesn't go conservative. And, you know, that typical defensive coordinator, now I'm a head coach, our offense is going to be way behind our offensive, our offense, is or I mean, our defense for the first two or three years. That we talk about. Is it, is, does it, is that, because I don't, if I think about it, Tom is a defensive coach, Flores is a defensive coach, um, Brandon Staley, he's a defensive coach. I think Ron Rivera, he might be the, the quintessential like conservative. <laughs> I think um but I think the defense Sean McDermott, he's a defensive coach. Tom Co- Tom Coughlin was pretty like conservative in ways. Tom Coughlin back in the day was a defensive coach. Rex Ryan was a defensive coach and he he did go conservative with, with Mark Sanchez. I don't think they even got a big threat wide receiver to even push the defense. I think like hey we're gonna throw these digs. Then they have a. Did they have Braylon Edwards at that point? I think they had Braylon Edwards, but I don't think they were running deep. Like right. Cleveland, Cleveland, and 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 then Derek Anderson were running Braylon Edwards deep. Right. I think the Jets were. But yeah, I, that's just I, my I hope. Though. I just hope that he doesn't do that. I think what I really think that Houston is probably in the one of the better positions of any one of these teams because say they aren't big on Bryce Young. You know, maybe they want the six three CD Stroud versus the six foot um Bryce Young listed. Listed six three listed. listed. Six. <laughs> so five eleven and six one. Uh they might be able to get a haul. They might be able to get Indy to jump to two and get whatever Indy has the first couple rounds and maybe add a few pieces and still get their quarterback. Or maybe he wants to run it with Davis Mills one more time. And then stack the defense and get that short field that, you know, these other young quarterbacks get. Because Davis Mills probably hadn't had a defense to where he's coming out multiple times a game with the ball at the 35-yard line. Yeah, they were um, they were last in rush defense. You know, like I said, I'm, 
I I like watching the highlights and the replays and show how close a quarterback, like you know, a lot of Justin Herbert's throws are just he gets it right, gets it right in the last second. Like he just he pulls the trigger and he has the cannon. Josh Allen, Mahomes, a lot of these guys. Because I don't think the gap is that wide. It's a matter of like, what's the read? Get to your drop, go through your progressions. Can you throw it accurately? Because if you don't throw it accurately, you can move the ball down the field. Well, if you have a defense that you know can get you the ball back, get you opportunities, get you short fields, get you a chance for that. You know, you get a turnover the 50 yard line, get a chance for that play action deep post shot, and maybe you get an easy touchdown. You know, just make make it easy. It's like when when a shooter's going through a slump, get five, go through the free throw line, see the ball go through the hoop. You know, you get a defense make a stop, the audience gets you know pumped up. You come out there, you throw your deep shot. Now, now you make your moves happen, or you just flat out say, you know what, Davis Mills isn't the guy, and then you still trade up with someone who maybe needs a quarterback. Right, Sean might not be your guy, maybe he is, but you still got CJ Stroud at four. I don't, I don't see, like we seen, we saw a couple of different trade scenarios that these writers are coming up with. They get Richardson off the board, number one overall, and the Ravens trade up to eight, and all sort of stuff is happening. It's highly unlikely. As the board's currently set up, I think Houston has a good opportunity to build something for D'Amico Ryan's, especially if they allow it to build. Mm-hmm. Two full seasons two full drafts, two full off-seasons by year three. What can you do in that division where Mike Vrabel doesn't get it together, he's gone. Yeah, because, I mean, Tannehill's probably gone, you know. Tannehill's probably gone. And last time I saw Malik Willis, he looked like me. Yeah, just out there just throwing her ball around. Then you, you got Jacksonville. Jacksonville might might rise to power. They could be like a 10-win team, 10-11-win team. And then Indy. They're in the same boat. They're in the same boat as you are. So I think you are you can put yourself in a position where next year, if you get the right couple of pieces in the place, you know, just seven and ten, you know, with a coin toss here or a kick here or an interception here, you you know, you're a couple wins away from nine and eight. I think you can do that when you have, you know, you get the young rookie and rookie scale. Mm-hmm. I'm excited for I'm excited for Houston because I think because he played there I think he brings a pedigree from San Francisco I think he understands what a team looks like when you don't have a dynamic arm talent quarterback I think he's seen that in San Francisco like okay you can win with Jimmy Garoppolo. If you throw these touch passes to Debo Samuel, if you throw these drag routes to Ayuk, or if you throw like, you know, you get a big tight end in the middle, you can make you can make these moves. So I'm excited for D'Amico Ryan's. Another South Conference team, NFC South, you got Frank Wright going to Carolina. Weak division. Shout out to the Falcons, but division division is winnable. Dennis Allen in New Orleans is not making any headways. We talked about this earlier. We think Todd Bowles, this might be his last year. I don't know if he's going to this season with Kyle Trask or Blaine Garrett as a starter, or they call Tom Brady and say, hey, man, rescind that document and come back. But I doubt doubt that. So I think they have a chance to do well in Carolina because they all wanted Steve Wilkes. I know players all wanted Steve Wilkes. And I heard a couple of pundits on TV talk about, you think they will just not walk out? Like, listen, they like Steve Wilkes. 
but they also like to pay their bills and play football and live the life that they live. Like, they can respect that, you know, they wanted him. But in the same sense, it's like, well, we still got to go play football. Mm-hmm. I think in that division, I think 9-8 can win it again next year. I think 9-8, you can look at dominant. You know, I think 10-7, and seven, you'll look like 16-1. and one. And yeah, I, I was gonna say if they get a quarterback, they could be eleven and six. You know, that's what I had in my notes. You know, they could be eleven and six. You know, they they were already have on staff. If they get one of these dudes just to play, if they get if they get Sam Donald to play like Daniel Jones played last year, they could be ten and seven. Yeah, I mean, he was playing Daniel Jones like because they were 29th in passing. And you know, uh, you know, they were 10th in rushing, so they have that going for them. So that's why I threw the if they have a quarterback, if they could get a quarterback in there, you know, because PJ Walker ain't going to be the answer either. You know, they need some defensive improvement, but I think I think out of the head coaches uh, mentioned so far, and you know, the new coaches, he probably has the best chance for success early in year one or year two or whatever the case may be, because Sean Payton got to go through Mahomes, you know, um, Ryan's and um, Steichen are taking over rebuilds, you know, for the most part. Um, you know, uh, Gannon has the quarterback, but he's injured. You yeah. know, so so Reich has the best chance to start off the right way. I think that Reich is a good co- coach to begin with. I was shocked that Indy fired him. You know, now granted, he wanted Carson Wentz, you know, and all that. So that was on him. But y'all were the ones that brought in Matt Ryan and all this kind of stuff, you know, so... I think that he's a good coach that will do well in Carolina initially. We'll just have to see what happens going forward with the actual roster and salary cap and all that stuff. Then their owner, like we talked about earlier, a lot of owners are different. These guys, people got money through different media sources and like tech guys. So they're not, the Hunt family. They're not the Rooney family. They're not the Mara family. They're not like these legacy families, the Browns in in Cincinnati. So they're not like these family-owned teams that they've had for years, i.e. Denver paying Sean Payton $20 million because they are the Waltons, the, the Walmart money. So like I think they're gonna. he might want results a little earlier. I'm not sure what kind of contract uh, Frank Wright ended up getting, but I know he. Oh, didn't. and remember, Denver's owner said that the new coach will go through him. He did say that before they hired Sean Payton. Because, like I say, these guys are successful in other means, and they think that it just translates. I get it. I'm taking a leave from development course right now, and I get that basic concepts do apply if you can apply them logically, but you have to apply them without you being the catalyst. You have to be able to apply the concept and let the concept play out. You can't be like, oh, because I'm applying the concept, now I gotta be the overseer of the implication. Mm-hmm. No, you have to apply the concept and let it work. So I think Tepper, when he came out, there was no reason for him to give Matt Rule an eight year, $62 million contract. Mm-hmm. But in time, to him, he probably thought, you know what, I'm gonna show support for you early and tell you I'm gonna give you this long. And then two and a half years in, he was like, yeah, it was a bad move. I shouldn't have done that. You got to go. Mm-hmm. Friend, he's a billionaire. I'm pretty sure he can handle it. Maybe the pride takes a hit, but the bank account is like, whatever. It's like you and I buying coffee or hot dogs. And, you know, according to you know, his net worth, the same thing with the Walton family, i.e. giving Peyton $20 million a year, even though he's been average his entire uh, NFL coaching career. So 
and I understand it. Oh, just that that was a play. I'm actually seeing the play on my of Drew Brees hurting his shoulder against uh, the Broncos. But I think D'Amico Ryan has a good chance because he's in a division where they're going to be com- they can be competing for the division November into December. It won't be a complete shutout. Same thing with Frank Wright. You're going to be in playoff contention early, even if you lose a game in division, because your teams in, in your division aren't going out, winning outside the division. Sean Payton, if he starts off two and three, three and four, or three and three, and it doesn't look good, and then Kansas City is five and one, the Chargers are, you know, you know, they're they're rolling. Aaron Rodgers is playing in Las Vegas. People are going to start looking around like, yeah, why did they get this dude $20 million? Because your quarterback's not getting any younger. Your wide receiver core already had one full year frustration with Russell Wilson as is. And Shannon uh, Sharp was kind of alluding to information. He never really said outright, but he made it seem as if there was a lot of people in the building that didn't appreciate the star treatment that Russell Wilson got fresh out the gate. I think he had parking spots for himself. Sierra, I think his coach, his personal coach had access to the building. He had his own meeting room, his own like waiting room. He had, he had his own stuff that shouldn't apply to all players. Uh, Granted, some players get a little bit more perks, you know, like Jimmy Johnson once said, if a four string running back falls asleep at a meeting, we cut him. If MS Smith falls asleep in a meeting, we nudge him. Like you get you get that, you know, there's certain perks. So I think that with Sean Payton, I think the twenty million dollars keep him in this position a couple of years longer, where I think I think these other guys would be successful. I just don't know if Arizona's probably the only one that I would just assume that he could be a Nathaniel Hackett situation. <laughs> I can see that. And, and you know, Russell Wilson also, I guess, ruffled some feathers because he reached out to Peyton behind the team's back, too. So, you know, like he was just on one, I guess, you know. But, you know, but I think I think um, this is an interesting round of coach hires. So, you know, we'll see how it goes. You know, I'm interested to see how D'Amico Ryans does. You know, hopefully Houston can get it right with a black coach this time, you know, and actually give them more than a year. You know, it's a thing, you know. So with that being said. You know, it's time to get something off of our chest. So, you know, let's hear it. All right. So I'm going to go ahead and get it started because I think you have a really good one. I want to give you the whole floor. So I'm going to keep mine short. I don't like these pre-draft story narratives, especially when it comes to black players. I think a lot of these pundits, mainly guys like Todd McShay, I think they try to drive their own narrative. And I remember a couple years ago during the draft, instead of saying what a guy did in high school, what his numbers were, what his, you know, if he was a volunteer, it was like, uh, lost mother to cocaine addiction at six, hadn't seen her since, lived with his grandma. It's like, is that important to him as a player? So it allows every year for even a little bit of information that might even be corroborated. Todd McShay saying that uh, Jalen Carter, the defensive tackle for 
Georgia Bulldogs, was wasn't a locker room guy, was disruptive and just overall perpetuating the stereotype that like young black male athletes are just hard to coach and just get by off the of talent. When the real story came out, it was like he found out one of his walk-on teammates wasn't able to pay for his food and give you his own money to ensure that this guy ate every day. As soon as he found himself, so it was like he's not a locker room guy, but yet he's gonna spend his scholarship money to make sure walk-on eats with the team every single day. So guys like Todd McShay, Mel Kiper grading these guys on their hip rotation and the length of their arms and if their grandmother smoked crack or these interview processes where like I said, Des Bryant asked Des Bryant's mom, asked him in front of like yeah, in front of all these executives, so was your mom a prostitute? I mean, like these kind of things are appalling. And guys like Todd McShay and Mel Kiper Jr. and Mike Mayock when he worked for NFL Network and they talk all this nonsense and they give these guys these grades. It's like I'm sick of it. I'm sick of your sources. I'm sick of you saying, well, I heard from this. I heard from this executive. I wouldn't do this. I heard from 14 executives that they feel like he would never be an MVP. If you're going to stand up on TV with your little suit and tie on and your makeup on your face, if you heard it and you believe it, say, I believe this. I talked to this young man. Because if you didn't talk to this young man about how you grew up, then don't go around saying what you heard some other executives say because they want to taint somebody's draft stock because they might want to draft him in the second round, so they go say some of the bottom, so he drops the second round, so they can get him and pay him cheap and work him, work get his free labor out of him essentially because they wanted him in the second round, so they needed him to drop, so they drop some nonsense to you. So if you can't corroborate this information, don't go on TV saying I heard this. Don't go posting on Twitter that I heard this. Get some facts, spit the facts, and that's it. One hundred percent. 100%. So I was sitting around yesterday, you know, and, you know, I was listening to Rob Parker because I like listening to Rob Parker, you know, you, you know, he's always entertaining, if nothing else, even though I don't agree with him probably, you know, 80% of the time, but I just like listening to him. So he was he was doing the Dan Patrick show with a guy you probably heard of named Doug Gottlieb. You know, I ain't gonna get into his past, you know, but y'all know what he did. Anyway, so I was listening to the show and they were talking about Eric B. Enemy. And, you know, you heard us talk about Eric B. Enemy last week, you know, so you know how we feel about Eric B. Enemy. We know how we feel about the situation. You know how we feel about the situation. So he said that he's talked to people in the NFL hiring process and they have assured him on good authority that race does not play a major role in the process. Yo, straight up, that's like a murderer telling you they never owned a knife, you know, like. Race plays a role just off of the fact of our conversations before about being in the club and how segregation was a thing at one point. Art Shell was the first black coach hired in 1989. What I do know is that every time a black coach is not hired and every time a black coach is fired is not racism. But, you know, you start showing me black Joe judges, Cliff Klingsbury's, then I might listen to you a little bit. You know, and I might back down that race does not play a significant role in the hiring process. But until you can do that, I'm not going to back down. But, you know, people like Doug Gottlieb, they're in a position to challenge the status quo. They have the ability to stand up, speak out against what's wrong, amplify what's right. But no, he'd rather sit in the room and in these clubs with these same people that are being exclusionary in the first place 
to maintain that they are doing things the right way. You know what I'm saying? We see this ourselves with our own eyes. We hear it with our own ears. Doug Gottlieb, you are not going to lie to us. We are not going to take it because we are smarter than that. So with that being said, he said that (laughs) he was interviewing or got a word that he could get the Oklahoma State head coaching job. And Mike Boynton ended up getting the job. And he told Rob Parker the reason that Boynton got the job was because of relationships. So you know what? Erase everything that you said prior to that. That's the key word right there. Relationships. You said it out of your own mouth. So somehow you, high and mighty white man, didn't get the job that you thought you could have got or whatever the case may be. And it came down to relationships. But when we say it, it's wrong. Tell me how that works. I would love to listen to that. Lastly, you know, as you know, this conversation went on where he just kept jumping all over Rob Parker and wouldn't let Rob Parker get a word in. You know, I was listening to him and I thought to myself, back to Art Shell in 1989, I was eight years old. Now I'm 41 years old. So in that 33 years, all that tells me is we're not that far removed from all this talk. You know, we talk about how race is not important anymore and how these things don't matter. But there's a reason why Martin Luther King was hated. And now everybody quotes him. And before you even go any further with that, just realize Martin Luther King was assassinated. He didn't die. He was assassinated 13 years before I was born. Time is relative. Everything that Doug Gottlieb said yesterday is doing nothing but keeping that old era alive. Doug Gottlieb, shame on you. And that's what I had to get off my chest. Yeah, I heard so. the clip you sent me, like I said, I, I couldn't get all the way through. I want to say just because, like I said, we're all about objectivity here. I understand, I think, what he was trying to say, that it's not. He was trying to say it wasn't a factor at all, which I think is that's short sighted. You, you, you have to be you got to be smarter than that as, as just as a human. Like we understand demographics and relationships. And if you don't have those relationships, I'm not saying that these owners don't like black people, but there is a narrative to where certain black coaches weren't given opportunity, whereas guys, i.e. the two people who lost the Super Bowl, both got head coaching jobs when one defense failed and one offense faltered. But he even said, but he even said in that same, he even said in that same conversation that it would be weird to him if the NHL's coaches and owners, you know, were 90% black. Like he, he, like that was weird, but why? You know, cause I'm sure if that were the case, race wouldn't be a significant factor. Yeah, because if you did, if you did the demographic flip in hockey, all those teams, if 90% of them were owned by black, black owners and 75% of the coaches were black and 90% of your players are white, you'd be like, how did this happen? Right. And that's all it is. You like, know what how, I mean? How did this happen? How did it get to the point where it gets to that? So I am not accusing anybody of anything. You know what I mean? But just got to be a little bit more. You got to be a little bit more uh, either say exactly what you feel and then let me 
follow you down that path. Right. But if you give me, like I said, don't piss in my pocket and tell me it's raining. Just tell me straight up, like, listen, I don't think Eric Bieniemy would have been a good head coach. And from what I'm hearing is that he's such a bad interview. People felt like they don't even want, they wouldn't want to interact with him on a weekly basis. If that's the truth, if that's the information you got, then say that. Because I think it has to be somewhere in in, the, in that realm. Like, so, has- so to be fair, so to be fair to Doug Gottlieb, he did say that he had it on good authority that. Eric Bieniemy is divisive, and you know that's why he has a struggle getting these jobs because people don't see him as a uniter. And I can understand how, as a head coach, that could be, you know, negative. I can understand that. But but if if you say that, then I, I need and you to point to the to the kind of specifics. But I'm pretty sure because Joe Judge didn't look like he was very inclusionary when he came to the Giants because he was awful. He was real cocky with the media. He was not prepared. Like. There's no way from the time I saw his first press conference after they lost to there's no way you wild anybody in an interview. Like your personality seems bleh. He Sir, thought he was Belichick. Sirianni. I like Sirianni's like his, his Italian vibe. I, I can get with that. I live here in Jersey. I know a lot of Italians. They just bring you in. They're just like wholesome. Like when they, when they talk to you, they bring you in. It's like meeting a Southern grandma. Like you just walk in, you just feel welcome. Right. You know? Somebody from a big city that talks fast. Like, it's just something about being in a room with somebody like that. Like, someone with a thick Jersey accent or, like, a New York accent. You can tell it, it kind of galvanizes people. You can get that. But I never got that from guys like Joe Judge. Clingsbury, the way Kyler Murray was cussing him out on the sideline during the timeout. When they were inside the five, I was like, man, he has no respect for you. But I've never seen Tom Brady cuss at Bill Belichick. And I've never seen Drew Bledsoe cuss at... Uh, Bill Parcells, and I've never seen Roethlisberger cuss at Mike Tomlin. So it was like, I think that there, there has to be elements to show like, hey, these guys can be coaches. And a lot of guys are getting jobs that shouldn't be coaches. And I think I think people try to hijack the black coach argument and make it seem like, oh, it's not all about race. Where Rob Parker was trying to steer it back to, okay, well, then what is it about? How is it that all we have left as a real argument is race? Because the goalposts is getting moved. We have guys who shouldn't, who aren't qualified to be a head coach. Clingsbury was not more qualified, was not qualified at all to be a head coach. And he, I remember he brought up uh, Nick Saban and all those other guys that didn't work out, but they're great college coaches. I'm like that's not, that's not the conversation. And it seemed like he tried to deflect the entire time because when it comes down to it, where's the special teams black coach that went from teaching punters to being a head coach? Where is the five and seven Willie Taggart? What did he coach at? Like Washington or something like that? He didn't get an NFL job. He coached at Oregon, and then he came to Florida State, and then he left Florida State and went to Florida Atlantic. I don't know why you brought him up, but go ahead. He didn't go to Jacksonville. (laughs) I mean, he didn't interview for a job at the Jets. How did Clint Because he coached the spread offense. So, you know, like I said, we – Got that off our chest. You know, we going like I said, follow us on Instagram, Sports Reports is ordered. Follow me on Twitter, feel my rap. You can follow Mike at Instagram and MLW25. Where else can they find you, Mike? They're gonna find me on Twitter at two bit reports. You know what I'm saying? Check the YouTube page. Thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. We are wherever you get your podcast. You know, we are signing out. Thank you. We will see you on Friday, and we love you, America. Absolutely.
out.